What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff Sapier, and this is episode 113 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with songwriter Nick Bailey. Thank you so much for checking out my show. I really just appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to adult education. This show for me is all about learning new things or maybe learning more about some topics we're already familiar with. I speak with experts across all fields to learn more about health, education, music, technology, mental health, and really just about anything I find interesting. If you'd like to support adult education, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. Word of mouth is the best way to inspire people to listen to the show for the first time. This episode is very special to me. It's honestly about 22 years in the making. So let me take you back to my first year at college. When I was working at my college radio station at Villanova University, I used to spend a lot of time, arguably way too much time according to my grades, just sifting through the piles and piles of music that would come through the doors. There was too much to even listen to all of it. So I'd sift through looking for record labels that I recognized or artists that I'd seen on concert lineups with some of my favorite bands. And sometimes the artwork on an album would catch my attention. I remember that's how I discovered Yellow Card. I came across their One for the Kids album because it had the band sitting at desks in a classroom. It was like a big yellow bright cover. And I thought, well, this is intriguing. Let's check this out. And I'm glad I did because it's a great record. I'm not sure how I stopped on over it, but I fell in love with their album, The Ready Series. Their song 80s movie Antihero became a staple of my college radio show at Villanova. At this time in history, bands, especially newer bands, would include an email or a mailing address on their album. So one day I decided to reach out to over it to see if the guys would be interested in recording a station ID for us. If you don't know what a station ID is, basically that's when a band says something like, hey, we're whoever and you're listening to insert radio station here. And to my surprise, they did it. They sent me a tape with the recording and we used it all the time on the show. And that kind of started a little relationship with the band that you'll hear a little bit more about in this conversation. Uh, So why am I telling you all about this? Today's episode of Adult Education is a conversation that I have with one of the guys from Over It, Nick Bailey. I've followed Nick's career over the last couple of decades from his time with Over It to his next band, Runner Runner, and now on to his career in songwriting. And he's been a huge part of a lot of songs for artists all over the musical landscape from The Used to to Demi Lovato, to the Backstreet Boys, and so many more. Uh, This was just a cool moment for me to kind of come full circle from a freshman in college radio uh, to a professional morning show DJ and podcast host, but I still get to show love for those artists that I've been a fan of for years. So anyway, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nick Bailey. Hello, sir. Yo, what's up, bro? How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm actually a bit out of pocket in a good way. I been grinding on new songs and the waves were good on the east coast so i took a quick trip out to my parents house they live in the outer banks and i uh, i've been surfing yesterday and today i just got out of the water i'm like soaking wet <laughs> <laughs> dude the waves have been firing so i'm just like all stoked and dude surfing and how have you been man everything good yeah everything is good good i'm glad to uh glad to hear you're still surfing uh, after all these years <laughs> never stop bro I'm, I'm hoping to surf till the day i die so I, I know, are you from Virginia originally? Yep, Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach. Okay, now I, I've always found it interesting because I know surfing on East Coast versus West Coast is different, like just the waves, the ocean, everything. So did you get into surfing big when you were in Virginia Beach and then just kind of kept it going throughout your life? Yep, uh, I, I was kind of just raised by my dad and uncles just getting thrown on a board and tossed into the shore break, and I just fell in love with it when I was like 10. 
and just I would go in the summers and a little in the winter. And then when I moved to California with over it, um, I started going more and more. And I think that's when I really got dialed in was, was going a lot on the West coast. Um, the waves in California are a lot more consistent mm. than the East coast waves. But if you can surf good on the East coast, like in a storm swell, you, it preps you pretty good for the West coast and anywhere else. I mean, there's a guy from New York who surfs like cold, gnarly New York, Long Beach, New York waves in the winter. Like those nor'easter storms that mm. come through and the waves get huge. He's out there with like wetsuit, gloves, boots, hood, just crushing it. And that got him so good. He just won the pipeline contest in Hawaii. Pipeline is like one of the most prestigious yeah. waves in the world. And he just won it uh, last month. So it's like if you can get your chops on the East Coast and surf gnarly East Coast waves, you're good anywhere. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I grew up in New Hampshire and there's a small coast. There's really line. good waves up there. I've heard New that. I, I didn't surf, but I, I have heard that. And I would always tell people like the time when you would see the most surfers out in the ocean would be like right before or right after a hurricane. And they'd be like, that's You're right. crazy. Why would you go out? And I'm like, that's because the waves are there. Like that's when the waves come in. It does sound gnarly to people that like are intimidated by the ocean or hurricanes sound scary. I mean, they are, but it can really send some fun waves. And if you have, if you're good at swimming, you have experience, like sometimes those big waves as, as gnarly as they can be, you can get an amazing ride. That's makes your day, makes your week, makes your life. I wasn't yeah. really expecting to talk about surfing this much, but now I'm curious because you said your dad inspired you. So does your dad have a history of surfing too? Like, is this a long running thing in your family? It is, but they kind of, they kind of gave it up. They ended up enjoying beer and wine too much and just <laughs> stopped, stopped keeping at it. But me, I got the bug. I'm like, I love surfing and I, I'm hoping to surf for as long as I can. I kind of feel the same way about snowboarding. Again, growing up in New Hampshire, that's what I did when I was a kid, but then I've moved a little bit further South. I'm in Maryland now and there are mountains, but there's just I don't know. Like they're not as exciting. They're not as close as they used to be to me when I grew up. So I find it so much harder to get on the mountain, but I want my daughter to enjoy it too. Like I, I want to inspire her to get outside and enjoy that stuff. Dude, you definitely should take her snowboarding. I mean, I, I love snowboarding too. I haven't been in a long time. I've been in New Hampshire snowboarding. It's incredible. And they got some good stuff. I think we took it. I took it for granted when I was younger. And now that I live here, I'm like, damn, I wish I could go back for that. <laughs> yeah. You're not too far. What's in Maryland? Like uh, Whitetail or something like that? Uh, I get, Yeah, White, Whitetail's Maryland, right? Yeah, I think so. It's out Western Maryland. Ski. There's And we got the Poconos not ski. too far away. That's right. And you got Ski Liberty in yeah. Pennsylvania. That's right. Because you're from Virginia. So you know a little bit of the area up this way. Yeah. 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 We used to go to uh, Ski Liberty and Mass Massanutten. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> So I got to admit, Nick, one of the reasons that I thought about you was a couple of weeks ago, I saw a uh, an article come out on Loudwire. I don't know if you ever check out Loudwire for anything. Um, it's like a music website, but they posted their top 50 pop punk albums of all time. And I'll be honest, I opened it up and I legitimately expected Silverstrand to find itself in that top 50. And it did not. And I was very disappointed. No chance, man. I appreciate that. But, you know, over it was a pretty small band. Like we did some really exciting things and I loved the whole experience, but we were definitely a baby band, you know. And I get that. I understand like from the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but there were some albums that made that list that I was like, huh, that, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. But uh, but I was like, that's interesting that that one would make the list. There were some that I wouldn't have classified as 
pop punk really too, you know, but they, whatever they, the critics made their call, but I was disappointed. I thought Silver Strain had a shot in that. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, there's just so much cool music out there and over it definitely had a good little run there, but we were more of like an opening band. We were smaller, more like niche band, you know, um, we definitely had some awesome experiences kind of getting taken under yellow cards wing and touring with those guys. Um, and good Charlotte and all the warp tour that we did. But I think I, as much fun as we had making that music, I don't know like to what level it connected with people, you know, like there's levels to music connecting and to the audience. And I've noticed that more and more being a songwriter now and kind of being more and more involved in this business. I feel like I can see the matrix a little more for what it is. And, yeah, I think the over it music was great because we were kids writing songs, just having fun. Um, but I think there's like a level of focus. And I think we were, we just, we had a lot of fun, but the focus was never on the, writing the songs. And that's really what it should have been. And I think when artists do well without focusing on writing songs, that's where like the luck comes in. Mm -hmm. you, you write something. And you're just lucky that it's so good that it connects, you know, but some people have to work at that. Yeah. Do you think there's an element of some of the over it stuff like Silver Strand and I, what was the album? Timing is everything. Is it the next album after that? Or is it the um, first one? Yeah. Well, so we, we actually, the first label we were on was negative progression. Right. Right. Okay. And we did like an EP, a full, I think we did like two EPs and a full length with them. And then we signed a Lobster mm -hmm. Records, which Yellow Card was on and they had Park and Staring Back and a few other bands. Um, and that was Timing Is Everything was the first album on Lobster and then Silver Strand. Then we got out of our Lobster deal and signed a Virgin. And that's when we put out Step Outside Yourself. That's right, that Step was, Outside Yourself. So I, I haven't listened to this music in a while, and I, I've been kind of doing a deep dive this week to go back into it. And I wonder, because you came out at a time when there there really was a big emphasis on music like this style, like you just mentioned, Yellow Card, and Newfound Glory was starting to get bigger. You had Fall Out Boy starting to branch out a little bit and starting to come into the scene. But do you think there's an element of your music that maybe your particular brand of pop punk, if you want to call it that, was a little bit ahead of its time. Like I always found over it was a little more rocky than a lot of the other stuff that was out there. Wow, good question. I really don't know. I mean, uh, to be honest, maybe we were a little behind. Like we were okay. so inspired by uh, by Fat Wreckers and Epitaph stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I was watching surf videos and skate videos and hearing Bad Religion and Pennywise and No Effects and Strung Out. And then I became one of these kids that loved all the bands on those labels. And I would order all the obscure <laughs> releases on Epitaph and Fat and uh, like SST records that had Descendants and all. And uh, there's like a few more of these like random small little indie punk labels. And I just became obsessed with those labels and the bands on them. And then all the songs over it wrote were kind of a derivative of that music, which I think that stuff was popping off in like the mid to late nineties. And we were inspired by that. But then I think like the yellow card fallout boy, good Charlotte kind of sound was what was more popular. Sure. So we were a little more like punk 
And then I think what was reacting with the audience was a little more, I don't know, not sure. I see what you're saying. And there's like cycles, right? I mean, the stuff that was popular, like you're talking about in the mid nineties, that sort of rock edge came back a little bit more in the late two thousands, early 2010s, like a day to remember and four years strong, like the kind of heavier edge to it started to come back. So it's interesting how there are cycles. So you guys kind of fell in this weird in between time where you were maybe too late and too early at the same time. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, you're right. Everything does move in cycles. Just like right now, we're seeing this resurgence of like yeah. 2005 again now, you know, nearly 20 years later. And I'll be honest, uh, even though I'm 41, I don't hate it. <laughs> I'm kind of happy it's to have it back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I love it. I mean, because of that, like Travis Barker's back on top of the world. And um, because of that, you know, like there's just this familiar sound that's kind of back again and actually i wrote a song uh with i've written a few songs with story of the year for their comeback album and um one of the songs is called 2005 and it's just about that like it still feels like 2005 or do you remember when kind of thing you know and it has a very like yellow card story of the year kind of vibe and that was super fun to make with those guys. I, yeah, I've been seeing your posts on uh, social media. You primarily just post the songs that you've uh, written for people, which I think is kind of cool because it gives me an excuse to go look up some of the stuff that you've been working on uh, over the years. But uh, yeah, I do Thanks, want, bro. I want to talk you. about that writing. I'll say this, Nick. I, I know we've only met like two, maybe three times over the years. Um, and maybe we should do the quick story so people know how we even like are, you know, familiar with each other. But there are people in this industry that even though we've only met a couple of times, I root for nonstop. And you're one of those people. Like, I'm just so glad to see you still doing music. I'm glad to see you being successful and being able to still do your passion here. Thank you so much, man. That's so cool to hear you say. I really, really appreciate that. That is so sweet. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know what I'm doing, man. I just love doing it. <laughs> that's that's the important thing, man. That's all you need. I'm just obsessed with music and always have been. And here we are today still doing it. <laughs> so we'll do the quick backstory uh, in case anybody listening to this episode of the podcast cares. Um, but I was at Villanova University in college and I came across this is probably been 1999 or 2000. I came across something. Did you something. book the show? I did. did I did. I booked the show. I like begged and pleaded to let uh, to the school to let me book you guys. But I came I across that man. That wait, let me. Yeah, we opened for Tiffany, right? Did Tiffany play like the '80s singer? Was that's that right. right? Yeah, you. She was the headliner that year. You guys got to open up I the think show. We're for alone Tiffany. now. That was her hit, right? <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> that was actually a good show. I remember though, because you had a big stage set up in like a courtyard area, and there was a good amount of people there, from what I remember. And thank you for doing that, man. We appreciate it. I think it was a college show too. So you probably paid us pretty well. And that meant a lot to us little punk rock kids in a, in a little van. I don't remember how much money there was, but I do remember you guys were a little bit late, which I totally get because I think you were picking up one of the guys in the band at college and had to like drive up to, to get to Philadelphia. But I, and I remember everybody there was like, you made us book this band and now they're late. And they were so on my ass about it. And I was like, Oh my God, please get here. (laughs) You put it all on the line for us. 
<laughs> but it worked out. It worked out. We had a good day. We had a good show. And then just over the years, it's been cool following you. And then a few years later, when you were in Runner Runner, I'm sitting there in my radio studio hanging out doing some work. And then you and Peter and um, I forget the name. Ryan is the uh, singer for Runner Runner, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, you three yeah. walk by. And I knew Ryan from I didn't know him, but I. I went to so many shows in Philly and his band don't look down would always be there. And he was always out handing out his demos to people and all this stuff. So I recognized him. I was like, he said, this is the over it guys. Like, what are they doing in my radio station right now? And that's how I discovered wow. runner runner. I wish I, I feel like I was late to the party on runner runner. What station was that? Um, you guys were visiting Z one Oh four three in Baltimore. Wow. That's incredible. I'm trying to think who our radio rep there was. Maybe Dennis Reese or. I don't know. I yeah, worked so... at a country station. So I, I just happened to see you come in while I was doing my stuff, but I was like, damn, those are the guys. Nice. The country station. Love country too. Yeah. We, uh, runner runner had a fun like radio run where we took a couple songs to top 40 radio and, uh, we were signed to Capitol. And so, uh, the radio team there kind of sent us all around the country with their radio reps. And we did a ton of radio visits and played for like PDs and radio staff and did a few radio shows as well. And honestly, that was one of the most fun I've had was visiting radio stations because I've always loved the radio and it's always a dream to have a song on the radio. And so to go there and play your music and meet the people behind it, I really enjoyed it because I noticed everyone that works at radio is like a super fan of music and that's all we really are people that write music people that play music people that stay radio stations at record labels and the audience everyone's just a fan you know so when we can relate on that and like find that common ground it's it's really cool and i noticed that at, at the radio stations that we would visit you were saying something about over it and how there was uh, maybe uh, not as strong of a connection as you guys had hoped that you would get. But I feel like Runner Runner was at the beginning of sort of the MySpace years where social media was becoming a thing and you could make a connection with people in different ways. YouTube was around and you could do videos or whatever. Do you feel like you started to play the game, I guess, if you will, uh, with the connection stuff with Runner Runner? I think, yeah, you're right. I think it was we we had social media help helping us the myspace thing was awesome and a few other platforms that were coming out and i also think with runner runner we took a bit more time to focus on the songwriting and the who we were having produced the songs and with over it you know we we had some great producers we were with cameron webb and he's awesome um and mike green but we didn't really, it was kind of like, okay, we got to make a record. Let's write 12 songs. All right, here they are. Let's record them. All right, there it is. Like next, next order of business to get this band going, you know, when in hindsight, now knowing what I know, it's kind of like, we needed to focus way more on the songs. We should have written way more songs, pick the best ones. I think the more you focus on the songs and the music, the easier everything else becomes. We were so caught up trying to make fans and, find booking agents and get on tours and and promote ourselves but it's like the better the music you have the better the songs you you make you still need to work hard and have a good work ethic but those those other aspects of being in a band in a way they kind of come to you a lot easier when the songs are right you know sure 
Now you're a songwriter now, so you you see a lot of different. You produce things as well, but you see a lot of different sides of things from where you're sitting at this point than you know 20 years ago when you were a kid in a band just trying to get yes. out there. Um, but do yes. you think the way that we work with music now? has opened your eyes someone in a different way. Like it's, it's quote unquote easier for someone to get a song and record a song now than it was 20 years ago. You had to book studio time. Now you could do it in your basement if you have the right computer, you know? So do you think it's a little bit different? Like you, you I don't really know what the right question is here, but do you think that it's, it just provided different opportunities for people now to really hone those skills? Yeah, I think so. I think the curtain has been lifted up a bit more to the music industry and how to uh, promote yourself or make music. Yeah, you can get Ableton on a iPad as a 10-year-old or whatever. You know, you can start producing at a young age and it almost becomes like your video game. Mm. And I don't think that was quite an option like when we were kids, you know. So there's definitely way more there's way more potential to record yourself and make it sound cool. The more time you spend at it from a young age. And yeah, there's, there's just, there's more for artists, bands, musicians to be self-sufficient. You know, you can record something on your laptop and then upload it to Spotify and then it could blow up overnight or TikTok. Right. TikTok's another platform. And yeah, I think back in the day, it wasn't quite as, easy to get exposure you know it was a little more you're right you had to book studio time you had to get your music to labels you had to somehow get on shows and yes somehow with the social media influence and just it's just more accessible now to get to other songwriters other producers uh you know to buy a laptop and put recording stuff on it i mean you really don't need much to make a cool demo anymore and a cool demo can go so much further now, you know? I was talking to my dentist about this yesterday, very randomly, but she's a big music fan, and she was talking about a lot of older artists that are touring. You were talking to your dentist? That's always, that's like a, like a stand-up bit. You're like, so she's like, oh, what's your favorite music? And you got all this stuff in your mouth. Right. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. And like the dentist understands exactly what you're saying, even though it's not audible. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny because she kept doing that to me, and I'm like, well, I can't answer you right now, so I'll just wait until you're done, and then I will answer your question. Uh, we Sounds were talking like a Saturday Night Live skater from <laughs> right. I just flew in from Chicago. Um, but uh, we were talking about older bands that are touring again. She's like, I can't believe, like, I think her example was Social Distortion. She's like, they're touring again. And I was nice. like, yeah, but it's kind of cool. Like, these artists now, like, if you bought a CD in 1995, you can listen to that CD however many times you want, whenever you want, and the artist would never know. But now, with a thing like Spotify or TikTok or Apple Music, you can listen to it all day long, and the artist will see that. The artist will be like, wow, we're seeing people really finding our music and we're gaining traction from this music again, maybe we should hit the road. So it's kind of interesting to have real time feedback about what your music is doing to people. That's super cool. A blessing and a curse. Sure. Oh, I'm sure. Because the, the streaming though, it is great for exposure and building a fan base. There's like a weird copyright issue, like with the royalties. Whereas if you bought a CD in the past, the artist would make a lot more than now if you just stream the song. Sure. So it's kind of like, it's a mixed blessing. It's cool getting the exposure, but then you actually make way less. Like if, if someone bought a CD, you're going to see more royalties than if someone streams a song. Sure. Or yeah. streams a whole album. 
Yeah, that's the big debate, I guess, right now is trying to figure out how to accurately pay the the talent for the work that they're putting out there. It's kind of crazy. I can sum it up very simply and say that if the government, basically the government put this thing called a consent decree on the music business back in like the 30s, where they would, they said that if you have a copyright, which is whoever writes the song, they capped out what the royalty rate would be at some like low rate. Like, cause they didn't want the music business to be, to become a monopoly. They didn't want people selling like jukeboxes and bars to just like make more money than anyone else. Sure. They were yeah. worried about that. So they put this little like law saying the copyright of music can only, you know, be, be valued at this, at, at this price, which is very stupid and silly. And it's like, they didn't put a cap on like the pharmaceutical companies. They didn't put a cap on like Apple products. They didn't put a cap on so many other businesses, but somehow they did it in music. They've never lifted that since the thirties. So there's all these debates, but essentially legally Spotify, Apple, Pandora, they are only obligated to pay so much for the copyright of a stream. And it's like a really low number and it's kind of ridiculous. And if basically if that consent decree were to go away, if that government involvement were to like be lifted and disappear, it would be privately negotiated by performing rights organizations like BMI, CSAC, ASCAP. And then it would be much better for the songwriters and the copyright owners, like way better. The long story short is if the government got out of the way, <laughs> then it'd be a better situation. Well, we'll see. Maybe you guys got to donate some more to campaigns because I think that's how pharmaceuticals and other things work. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a few people that lobby in Capitol Hill and, and there's a few organizations that are really supportive and they're, they've been doing good work trying to get this sorted out and fixed. But um, yeah, there was a there was a recent thing called the Music Modernization Act, mm, yeah. which was signed into law and that was helpful. It, it basically added a bit more to the royalty rate. But essentially, if we could just get rid of it, it would just be better for everyone across the board. Well, for your the real sake, value right now, the real value right now is in the master. Yeah. Recording the master recording, because when you, the, a song, when you hear a song, it makes money in two ways, the copyright and the master. Usually labels own the master, but there's some really cool success stories of independent artists that own their own masters and then they just blow up on Spotify and they don't make quite as much on the copyright side for writing the song, but since they own their own masters, they make a killing. And the masters thing is interesting not to get totally derailed here, but like you hear stories, like I think famously people know the Taylor Swift story about her masters being sold and how she was all quote unquote upset about it or whatever. Um, but then you see other stories I've been reading recently, like Blake Shelton just sold all his masters. Keith Urban just sold his masters. And so it's interesting to see how like some people are outraged by somebody owning their masters and other people are like, F it, just take them, like sell them, give me a lot of money, sell my masters and we'll be good. Yeah, it's just, it's case by case. Yeah. It's just the way of the world. Some people will th get caught up in like the principle or in theory type scenarios. But I mean, the truth is the music game is like any other business. It's hard. Yeah. It's not easy. It's making money is not easy. So you really just got to love it. And if you do, then good things will come. And it's kind of like, it's like anything else. You just got to stick with it um, and to really 
be successful, it takes a lot of perseverance. So uh, to take a step back again, I know we got a little derailed here, but Runner Runner was what, 2008? You kind of got, you guys kind of came together. I know the album was 2011, I believe. Um, so yeah. when did Runner Runner kind of step back? When did you guys kind of say, you know what, this really isn't going the way we want to and it's time to move on? It was kind of an organic little transition there. I mean, we, over it kind of, slowed down and we wanted to start a new project and kind of focus more on the songwriting and a bit more like pop rock instead of the punk indie thing that we had been making so we decided to start a new project we got ryan and john from ryan from don't look down and john from rufio and then that was around 2008 yeah and then we played some shows put some songs on uh iTunes through TuneCore and they just like randomly reacted. Mm. It was it was pretty cool to see because we were on MySpace promoting and stuff but there was like a reaction because I remember we put our EP up unsigned on TuneCore and then like a couple of weeks later I get this like breakdown of sales from TuneCore and I was like whoa like I think we sold like a thousand EPs or something like out of nowhere. It was just like, damn, that's crazy. And then, yeah, it slowly started to react from there. And we got interest from capital and we did a joint deal with capital, David Letterman, which was wild. And we got to play the late show. We got to play Jimmy Kimmel. We did a bunch of dope tours, a bunch of radio stuff. And then by, yeah, the album came out 2011 by 2012, I think was our last tour. Hmm. Um, the album didn't sell as well as we did like independently out the gate. So, and then also when we had signed a capital, there was like a transition happening. So like when we signed, there was one head of the label and then the year later there was a new head of the label. I think EMI, EMI had sold. And even though we were like with the Letterman thing, it was still kind of like, you know, when the label changes hands with, with the, who's running it, a lot of artists go on the chopping block, you know? Yeah. So we ended up getting dropped, um, I think in 2012, but interestingly enough, I had become, I had learned about songwriting and co-writing and had just, my eyes were just super open by that world. Um, we, I took a trip to Nashville for the first time, like over around just over 10 years ago. And I met a songwriter who had written some hits for Rascal Flats. His name was Danny Orton. And oh, yeah. he totally yeah. like changed my life because I started writing songs with him. And just what I was like, you can do this. Like he had a family, he had a house and a family that he had all through writing songs. And I, I had no idea that that was a career. I was like, you can write songs for other artists. And like, this is crazy. I just didn't even know that it existed. And at the same time, when we had done all those radio shows, Katy Perry and Kesha and like Tyo Cruz Dynamite was on the radio. <laughs> and I was like, these songs are so catchy. Who's making this? And it was Dr. Luke and Max Martin. And then I became obsessed with those guys and did a deep dive. And I realized between my trip to Nashville and these hits on the radio, I was like, there's people that write songs with these artists. 
and produce songs with these artists like outside of what you see when you hear the song or you see the video or you go to the concert there's a whole world and a whole network of people behind the scenes writing and producing this music and my mind was just blown like i didn't realize it i don't know why i just never thought of it before you know it completely changed my whole perspective. I think I co-wrote a couple songs. I wrote a song with with this girl who was managed by someone that worked at Macbeth at the time. Okay. And we were spon- runner runner was sponsored by Macbeth. And he was like, Hey, write a song with this girl. I started managing. She has kind of like a Katy Perry voice. I was like, great, let's do it. And we wrote this song and it, I sent it to a friend who worked at absolute punk at the time. And he was like, dude, this is really good. Do you mind if I share with a couple of people? He, he was in New York. Um, he worked at absolute punk, but he also worked at a management company and he was like, do you mind if I share this with a couple of people? And I was like, sure. The next day, my phone starts lighting up. I was getting calls from A and R's. I got a call from this A and R named Sylvia Roan. I think she ran Epic at the time. I got a call from this guy that signed Rihanna and they were just like, we love this song, dude. Like, who are you? And what's, what's the deal? And can we use this song for this new artist we have? And I'm just like, whoa, like here we are in a band kind of like about to get dropped. Like things weren't going that great, but my phone's lighting up. Like, I love the song you wrote. And I was like, a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is it. Like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Like, I know I want to get calls like this. Like, this is amazing. So I just really started focusing after that, like, after the band kind of slowed down, we got dropped 2012. I just was like, let me write a song with anyone I can. And I started reaching out to different songwriters and producers. I was on Twitter, like uh, following producers, like who wrote this song? I love this song that was on the radio. And I would look up the credits and figure out who that was. I would follow them on Twitter. And that kind of was the beginning of that transition, like 2012, 2013. So just about 10 years ago, I realized that songwriting was like paramount, like the king and queen of the game. (laughs) Was there a moment for you because over it had been around since the late nineties and you went right into runner runner after that. Was there a moment for you where you were like, Oh man, I really want to do this. But I also really like being on the road. Like I imagine it was kind of like, like, uh, like a lot of football players when they're getting ready to retire, they're like, Oh man, do I really want to retire? I still love doing this, but I'm not, I don't really want to do it anymore. Like, did you have a, did you have that moment when it came to leaving the road and touring and just going to songwriting where you were like, man, I'm going to miss this aspect of it. Good question. To be honest, not really. <laughs> I had spent so, so much time on the road living out of a suitcase And though I loved all the people we met and all the experiences and the places we went, I feel like I had a good fix of that. And, and the songwriting part and being in the studio, it just really excited me so much that it, it was kind of like, there's no looking back. Like, this is what I want to do. Plus we kind of had that typical band experience with a shitty A&R guy. Oh no. (laughs) Like one of our A&R guys was kind of a nightmare and he just kind of, just stripped away the fun and the, I don't know, the inspiration of like being in a band. He kind of made it like your typical, like this sucks. You know, I think a lot of artists experience that where they have something they create and they're passionate about it. And then they sign to a label and the people to label just see it as a product. And it kind of strips away some of that passion and some of that like raw 
emotion. I think a lot of artists go through that and we we are no exception. Like we we felt that too and dealing with a bad A&R guy and just kind of like what are we going to do next? It just made the decision super easy for me. Like, you know, I don't want to deal with with the drama of A&Rs and and putting all our eggs in one basket. If I write songs, I can write song with a pop artist one day, a rock artist the next, a rap artist the next. You know, I can just swing for the fences and shoot for the stars with every song I write and it doesn't matter. And if it doesn't work, it's like on to the next. If you're in a band that signed a label and it doesn't work, that's a lot of time spent. Yeah. Like before as a writer, you, you can kind of just like dust yourself off, get back up, you're good like within a day. But as an artist signed to a label, I mean, we're talking six months, a year, years that you could be like caught up, you know? Oh, sure. I mean, development alone. I mean, there's so many artists that I've uh, met over the years from Nashville that like they come through on a radio tour or something and then you never hear their name again for two or three more years. And they're back again with like their second single. And I'm like, where have you been? Like, where? Yeah, that's tough. And you got to have a lot of patience. And I just was like, man, I just it just was clear as day for me that writing songs was my my favorite part about the whole game and what I, that's what I wanted to do forever did you go to Nashville right away or did you have some time in LA still no no I did not I took trips but yeah essentially uh over it and runner runner I mean over it started in Virginia but we relocated to Huntington Beach and then I kind of just stayed in Huntington Beach uh after runner runner and would just commute to Hollywood every day as crazy as it sounds if you're not living in California, it doesn't sound that bad. But if you live in LA, when I tell people that I lived in Huntington Beach and drove to Hollywood, they were like, you're out of your mind. That sucks. Dude. That's a terrible drive. I've only done it a couple of times because I have friends that live in Orange County. Um, and that's a, that's a terrible drive. <laughs> so I didn't mind it. I might sound crazy for saying this. Here are my reasons. Reason one, I loved the beach and I love surfing. So like, I sure. would get up, I would surf, and then I would drive to the studio it felt good to me. I enjoyed it. Reason two, right after coming out of being in a band that was touring for 10 years, if you're on tour and you have a drive between cities or shows that's like 30, 45 minutes an hour, that's like the easiest day of all time. Sure. We're used to like Salt Lake City to Denver type drives, you know? So for me, the, the thought of driving from Huntington to Hollywood was not that bad. It's like 30 minutes, no traffic, an hour with some traffic. The, on the worst time ever, it's maybe an hour and a half, two hours. But on tour, that's a short drive. So I had that mentality, you know. I was like, that's not that bad. Plus, I love the ocean. And I don't know, I have friends that live in L.A. And it just seems like you can get caught up in like the Hollywood bubble. And I kind of liked being outside of that and being able to escape that. I would be in Hollywood, do my work, be in the mix, but then I could always just dip to the beach and have more space, more fresh air, just more my vibe, you know? And then you moved to Nashville where there's like literally no ocean anywhere near you. What was I thinking? <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, after a while, it's like I had been doing that drive from Huntington like to Hollywood for... I mean, from 2013, pretty much, I started going to L.A. like every almost every day working um, till 2019 when I moved to Nashville, like end of 2019. So for like almost seven years, I was like driving up to L.A. every day. So it felt pretty normal, you know, 
I mean, my, my dad, when we grew up, we were in Northern Virginia or like in high school, I was in Northern Virginia. He worked in DC, like his door to door drive was like 45 minutes to an hour. So I just figured that's a normal commute, you know? Mm -hmm. If you got a shorter commute than that, I think you're a little bit lucky. <laughs> People are too spoiled, man. Everyone's got it easy. Nobody knows how good we have it. <laughs> we got to put all this in perspective. Sure, we, we uh, my office, my radio station moved to a new office a little over a year ago. It moved two miles from my house, so my commute is literally like sometimes Dude. I get in the car and I get through one song before I'm in the parking garage. You can ride a skateboard. You can I, ride a skateboard. I could, I could, I could. Um, um, so I think what's funny about Nashville too. I don't want to hold you up too much longer here nick because i appreciate your time but uh, what's funny about nashville is i think people always associate nashville with country music but there are people from all different genres from all different walks of life that go to nashville to work in music there have been so many radio tours where artists will come through the radio station and they'll have a guitarist with them and i'm like i think i've seen you play in a band before and they'll be like i don't know some punk band that i saw 20 years ago i'm like that's right definitely oh dude definitely yeah there's all kinds of reincarnation of little punk kids coming back in country bands and yeah i mean uh look at dan and shay the the guitar player and the drummer were in a rocket to the moon oh i didn't realize that i knew i knew dan had some history um i think he he used to tour with all time low years ago i think um and uh, so i didn't i didn't realize the band though was from rocket yeah yep yep i mean if i'd have to think about it more there's all kinds of little examples like that but you're right. I mean, Nashville is growing so fast. And I thought moving there that I would be doing more country music, which I love working on because I love country. And I am still. But it actually, I've been getting pulled in a lot of directions because there is a lot of alternative music and pop music and just everything coming out of Nashville. I mean, I didn't get to work on it. I wish I did. But bro, Harry Styles made his last record yeah. in Nashville. Like the producer is in Nashville. Like he lives there. Like one of my favorite mixers, Adam Hawkins, who mixes a bunch of stuff for Travis Barker. He he mixed that Machine Gun Kelly song I was on and he mixed a ton of the 21 Pilot stuff. He's probably my favorite alternative rock mixer, Adam Hawkins. He lives in Nashville. He's mixing out of Nashville now. One of my favorite pop artists, Sasha Sloan, mm. and her and her husband King Henry, an amazing producer, Sina Diplo. They live in Nashville. It's just like the list goes on and on and it's like never ending. So there's just so much opportunity. Plus, the I'm signed to a publishing company that's actually Dr. Luke's publishing company, which is an amazing full circle moment for me because he was one of the first songwriter producers I fell in love with when I realized you could do this. <laughs> but he has an office in L.A. and in Nashville. So it's like it's just there were so many signs of like coming to Nashville. Plus, I'd been taking trips here. I helped a friend of mine get a publishing deal in Nashville and there's just like a lot of opportunity. I thought I'd be like missing LA a lot more. I've taken quite a few trips since I moved, but I thought I'd be needing to go to LA like every month or every other month. And that hasn't really been the case because there's so much opportunity in Nashville. Story of the Year did their record in Nashville. Swaco was just in, in Nashville. We worked on a song. Like it's just the the possibilities are endless. It's just a music city, you know, Yeah. it's even though it's historically country and there's great country music and there will always be, there's a lot of other options too, because I think it's just a good place to live for, for music and it's a lot cheaper and there's no state tax. I do miss the ocean though. And that's why I'm here in the Outer Banks visiting <laughs> my parents for four days, getting my fix. And then I'm back to Nashville to get back to work. 
Well, I'll let you get back out on the ocean here in a second. I will say you've got to update your Wikipedia page because the songs that you've written stop in 2020, and I know you've done a lot more since then, and I want to see a full list, okay? Dang it. I don't know who does that. Are you on Spotify or Apple? I have, like, a playlist on there. I think my Spotify playlist is pretty... Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, are you on either of those? Yeah, I mean, I can use either one of them, yeah. Yeah, I'll send you a Spotify playlist, okay. but it should should just be, like, written by Nick Bailey. There's a list. I'll have to see. I'll have to check with the powers that be about the, the wiki. I don't really do any of that stuff, man. I'm just all focused on songs. That's it. 24-7. I'm just thinking about songs, and that's all. Did well, you hear the new U single? Is it the uh, F.U. song? Yes. I love that song. I actually have found Dude, it because of you. you. I saw you post about it. And I was like, oh, I got to check this out. And I'll be honest, I was a, an early adopter of the used way back when, but I kind of fell off with them for a little while. But that song, holy hell, like that brought me back in. Dude, that's so cool to hear. I'm so proud of that song. I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Uh, the Used was one of my favorite bands when they first came out. And I remember watching them on Warp Tour and that first record, I was like, wow, this band is so cool. And that I just never heard anything like it. And uh, now, like 20 years later, <laughs> to be like a part of something with them is just like the coolest feeling. Um, I had just written a, a song pretty much on guitar with a couple friends and I sent it to John Feldman and I was like, Hey, I kind of hear this for the use that uh, you trip if you heard the demo. Cause it's kind of a different vibe. But Feldy was like, yeah, let me, let me play it for Bert and the guys. And then sure enough, he hit me. He was like, yo, they like it. You want to jump on a zoom and finish it with them? And I was like, heck yeah, dude. And then we did. That's awesome. And, uh, and now that's the song that, it's out. So it was just what a cool process and a, an amazing full circle thing because like over it was like a baby band opening for bands like that. And now I get to write with bands like that and story of the year. And yeah. dude, I have a song with some 41 coming nice. out on their next record. And there's just it's just so cool. I'm like, I, I feel like the kid in my parents basement trying to write songs only i'm applying everything i've learned since i was the kid in my parents basement and it's been really exciting one last little anecdote for you so my biggest interview horror story ever was with the used um and it's my fault it's not nothing to do with them it was my fault but i went to go interview jeff from the used at warp tour so i had my little like tape recorder i mean this is like 2000 two maybe so i mean it goes back we didn't have all the same like digital recorders that we have now that we could use remotely so i go up there with my little you know tape recorder i go to sit down i'm like trying to hit record with him I'm like why isn't this working i had no batteries in it so i like went through this whole oh. thing of trying to get in touch with jeff i like i ran through all these hoops i had to call people from a, a pay phone because i didn't have a cell phone like all these different things and i get to sit with jeff and i can't even record the freaking interview because i don't have batteries in the you're recorder. just like writing it down on paper his answers like oh i know he just looked at me like, wow, we just wasted all this time. Thanks, bro. Dang. <laughs> That's like me showing up to the studio without my laptop charger. There you so. go. Yeah. I can't record you. I gotta get a I gotta get a do-over uh, after at some point with Jeff in this. <laughs> if only you had an iPhone then with the voice notes. Right? It would have been so much what a, easier. What a lifesaver. Honestly, <laughs> voice notes is a great little app, man. I like get ideas on there all the time, record ideas all the time. Sometimes I'll record guitars or parts on there and, and then fly it into Pro Tools and it it sounds like it 
voice note things recorded on the voice note sometimes make final productions. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I use it for interviews once in a while when I, I haven't done a lot of live interviews in a while because of the pandemic and stuff, but uh, I have used it for interviews and it sounds great. I mean, people, it comes through very loud and clear. It's dope, man. Well, Nick, I, uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, what is Dude, it? 20, thank you, man. 2025 will be 20 years of silver strand. Can we maybe get a, a reunion for the, for the, for the wow. album or maybe when I we were young festival that. or something? I mean, come on. I, I, I appreciate that. I, you know, when we were young, festival is so cool. And I'm just happy to be writing songs that other artists are playing there. <laughs> I don't know if over it'll play, but I can tell you that uh, we're re-releasing Timing is Everything on vinyl. Wow. Awesome. And I don't know when it's going to be coming out, but it's in progress. So maybe if that, if there's interest in that, maybe they'll press Silverstrand on vinyl for the 20 year. Well, I'll be purchasing Timing is Everything, so make sure you post about it Dude, on social media you. so I can be reminded about this. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. And it's really cool you're doing a podcast. It's it's. Are you still in radio yeah. world? Yeah, yeah. I'm still are doing you? country radio in Baltimore. Uh, I do the morning show there. I've been same, there for like 15 years. Yeah. Same station? Yep, same station that I saw you at uh, all those years ago with Runner Runner. Dude, congratulations, man. I really think radio is so cool, and I really have a lot of respect for everyone in the radio world. And it's my dream to have songs on the radio, and I'm working towards that every day. So props to you for being there and making dreams come true, because I'm sure you're playing songs from other songwriters. Like, that's their whole livelihood is, you know, getting music on the radio. So props to you, man. That's dope. Well, that's why I, I got into radio because I was not musically inclined and I could not play music myself. So now I play it on the radio instead. So that's okay. I mean, that's what I, that's what I was kind of saying earlier. It's like, we're all just music fans. Yeah. Like whether I play something or you don't, it kind of doesn't matter. We all just love music and that's what unites us ultimately. And I just feel like that's so cool. Well, Nick, I love you, man. I'm glad things are going good. I'm glad you found your passion and your love life. And you, bro. Like I said before, I, I root for you all the time. We need a full circle moment where I write a country song that you play on your station. Look, if you write country music at all, just tell me and, and we'll do our best I to do, make it happen. I do. I, I have a song with Blake Shelton on his last album. It wasn't okay. a single, though. Um, I had a song with Chris Lane on his first album, also not a single. I need a single. Dang, That's what you need. I'm working on it. I had a song come out today with uh, Mitchell Tenpenny and Cheat Codes. Oh, wow. Okay. Country pop project. Um, maybe that could be something. Did you play the other Cheat Codes, uh, Russell Dickerson song by chance? No, I, I, I kind of wanted to give it a shot, but uh, it was a little bit outside the box for our general audience. Our general audience tends to be a little bit on the older side, so the more current poppy sounding things don't always work great. Yeah, I get um, that. So that the was a little Mitchell, bit of a stretch. The Mitchell Tenpenny Cheat Codes song is probably in that same same vibe of maybe a little too pop for like the older country audience, but I'm working on some more country stuff. There's a new artist named Alana Springsteen. Love I'm her. working with. Love yeah, I have her. a song. I have a song with her for her record coming later this year that hopefully could play with you. It's called Different Kind of Country, and it's cool because it talk, she's from Virginia Beach as well, so it kind of talks about us being from the coast but still loving country. You know. Well, keep me posted on that, man. I'll keep my eyes open because I would love to uh, help you out wherever I can. I appreciate that. I'll definitely keep you posted on country music. And, dude, thank you so much for hitting me up. Thank you for the call. And uh, let's keep in touch, man. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, Nick. Get back on the waves, all right? Thanks, bro. All right, later. All right, see ya. 
Big thank you to Nick for taking some time away from his surfing to have a conversation with me. If you want to hear more music from Nick, you can dive into his bands. Those are Over It and Runner Runner. But he's also got a playlist on Spotify of all the songs that he's written. I believe it's called Written by Nick Bailey, if you want to check that out. There's some really good stuff on there. And thank you to all of you for listening to Adult Education. Until next week, be well.